not all born of Garu are Garu themselves. This is a fact that the Garu have had to live with since time immemorial. Those born with the blood of werewolves, but who do not undergo the change, are called kinfolk, and they may be either human or wolf. Kinfolk do not suffer delirium, and while they lack the rage that so well define the Garu, and only a handful of them can ever hope to manifest Gnosis, they remain special in the eyes of Gaia. It must first be dispelled this rumor that there is a Garu gene. While it is highly likely that a Garu mating with kinfolk will produce either kin or Garu, in fact roughly 1 out of 10 children born to such a coupling will experience the change. But this may not always be the case. In fact, some children born from a Garu may not even be kin, while two non-kin humans, or wolves, mating may result in kinfolk, or even a full-blooded Garu. Thus, it is not impossible for new lines, so to speak, to spring up among mortals and wolves alike, as Gaia sees fit to bring more, or less, of her warriors into the world. Kinfolk who know who and what they are are often referred to as kenning, while those who have no ties to Garu society are called Kalo. In the past, Kalo kinfolk were quite rare, but in the modern nights they are steadily increasing as fewer and fewer Garu are around to induct them into the sects. Once, in ages past, kinfolk were seen as a valuable resource to fight over. Indeed they were, for when the Garu were more plentiful and humanity had not complete control over their world like how they do now, the Garu fought each other for domain, for influence, and of course for kinfolk. Large families or even bloodlines would fall under the sway of the Garu, and sometimes entire villages could be formed where all, or all but a few, were kin to the werewolves. While different tribes, and indeed different septs, may have had different approaches to how they treated their kinfolk, the long and short of it is that they wanted more Garu of their own tribe, and the simplest way to achieve this was to mate with kinfolk. Kinfolk would often be brought into the family, so to speak, and taught enough to know the purpose of the Garu and what they were fighting, and many kinfolk would even serve side by side as soldiers, teachers, or guardians of the cairns. A kinfolk would be valued primarily by their fertility, and thus would their renown be closely tied to it. Someone who conceived Garu children would often enjoy respect from their peers, and even from the Garu. In some sense, this view of kinfolk may still in fact live on, although it of course differs between tribes, but inevitably the Garu will often attempt to seek their mates amongst the kinfolk, aided by the fact that they know of their existence, and the plight of Gaia, which makes it easier for the Garu to let their hair down, so to speak. Back then, it would also not be very unusual for a newborn child to be scryed upon to reveal whether they would experience the first change, and if they would, the family would then ensure that their transition into becoming a Garu would not be a traumatic one. With plenty of wolf and human kinfolk around, the child could learn about the life as the other breed as well, meaning that they would have at least a rough understanding of what they would experience once they had undergone the change. Kin fetches were used to keep track of children born to Garu or kinfolk that were assumed to have the potential to become Garu as well. A kin fetch is essentially a simple spirit such as a gaffling, tasked and bound to alert local Garu about the event of a first change. 
Thus, the guru would not need to keep a constant eye on these children, but would instead be alerted once this child or cub experienced their first change and could therefore quickly be approached and aided. This would prevent the worm's servants from tracking them and prevent them from causing too much destruction or chaos, or even put their own life at risk with the rage of the first change, at least in theory. Naturally, as time went by and humanity began to outgrow the confines allowed them by the guru, the use of kin fetches became a rarer occurrence, as these simple spirits would often serve as beacons for banes or black spiral dancers to hone in on and thus put these potential guru in grave danger. Not to mention that the increasing rarity of a guru would mean that a kin fetch may find a cub undergoing their first change, but find no nearby guru to answer their summons. Likewise, it became harder for the Guru to keep track of their descendants and their bloodlines as the Guru had to mingle with an ever-growing quantity of humans, as roaming packs of wolves became fewer and fewer in numbers. With millions of people living close together, it became almost an impossibility for the Guru to keep track of what child might potentially change or not, and thus the Guru are not quite as bound to their kinfolk as they once were. Yet naturally, there are still many kin who reside in or near a sept, pledging themselves to aid their guru siblings in protecting their cairn, and Gaia of course as well. Kinfolk are naturally more plentiful, and while they may lack many of the powers that come so easily to the guru, they are often much more versed in human society, being more dependent on it for survival. Wolfkin are, however, more precious now than they have ever been before, and many guru consider it their duty to ensure that any presence of wild wolves in their area are protected from poachers and other threats. A kinfolk may be able to learn some gifts over time, especially if Gaia has seen fit to grant them with the spiritual power of Gnosis. But as very few are, and none are ever born with the innate rage of their guru kin, they are often heavily limited in this field, and that does not take into account how they must also prove themselves worthy of being taught these gifts. Likewise, they are unable to step sideways, as unlike the guru, they are of one body, not two. They may be more attuned to the spiritual world, but they are not a part of it. Many kinfolk share some behavioral traits of the guru. They may have intense dreams and nightmares. They may be loners, having difficulty relating to other non-kinfolk. And those who are not aware of their heritage may be struck by a melancholic longing for a place to belong to. They are, after all, members of the larger pack in a sense, and they unconsciously know this. Many kinfolk will come to find that they are often highly valued at a sept, although over time they may also come to realize that this may not be entirely because of who they are, but rather what they are. Some guru see kinfolk only as good breeding stock, and this view will inevitably poison the well of their relationship. To these guru, the kinfolk are more akin to precious possessions rather than people, let alone equals, and this might foster resentment amongst the kinfolk under their protection. Likewise, many guru may be overprotective and might underestimate the skills and determination of their kinfolk, telling them to stay safe and away from danger, and then shouldering all risks themselves. While it is true that kinfolk are not as strong or resilient as the guru, the guru are in much fewer numbers, and as their enemies grow stronger and their numbers continue to dwindle, the responsibilities of the guru will eventually become too much and they will either lapse or have to learn to trust their kin with these duties. Thus the aforementioned resentment may grow into actual hostility if the kinfolk are not treated with respect and dignity. 
in the modern times, when lack of strength can be more than compensated for through other means, a group of determined and properly pissed off kinfolk might even be able to bring a guru down if they are pushed far enough. This resentment may also stem from a deep jealousy, which the kinfolk might not even want to acknowledge or be aware of. They are so close to being guru, yet by a simple fluke they never underwent the change, and this can fester in the heart of even the noblest of kinfolk until every sight of a guru in Krinos drives another splinter into their soul. Indeed, there are legends of forbidden rituals that would allow a kinfolk to become a skin changer themselves, but the prize is the lives of five guru, each from one of the auspices, and unless the pels of these garus were given willingly, it would eat away at the heart and soul of the kin who performed the ritual. Few kinfolk would ever go to such extremes, of course, but enough have to have driven home the point to many of the more progressive tribes of Garu. Kinfolk are people, and need to be treated as such. Indeed, much of this resentment also stems from how the kinfolk want to help their kin, how their very hearts cry out to join the cause of the Garu, but how they are denied. Many kinfolk throw themselves into battle to prove their worth to the werewolves, wasting their lives in an effort to show that even if they cannot change, they are still worthy guardians of Gaia. Kinfolk have little supernatural protection and are likewise therefore almost as likely to develop supernatural abilities as normal mortals are. There are kinfolk who become mages, their avatar awakening, perhaps even at the same time as they realize the existence of supernatural creatures, and granting them powers vastly superior to most of their kin, with the potential to become even mightier than the Guru. The werewolves, meanwhile, tend to be thoroughly distrusting of the mages, who will often take what they want from Gaia and rarely think of the greater picture. But some mages, Verbena especially, have over time come to achieve a rapport with some of the Guru. Likewise, kinfolk may be born with the soul of the Fae within them, and through history the Garu have been known to breed with the Fae, especially the Fianna. Thus, while rare, it is far from unheard of for a changeling to be born as a kinfolk, often following the edicts of the Seelie courts as they tend to align better with the Garu nation. Of course, the opposite is true should this changeling be born a Black Spiral kin. If a Fae spirit should be born into the body of a Garu, however, they will never experience their change into a changeling, and that will instead be reserved for a future incarnation. Kinfolk may become wraiths as well, and while they have some protection from it, they may also be embraced. Generally, the Garu tend to take the embracing of kinfolk as a grave insult and will track down and slay any kindred who would be so bold, almost always killing their corrupted kin as well, to put them out of their misery. In essence, kinfolk straddle the uncomfortable middle position of being exposed to the true horrors of the worm and what that entails, while lacking much of the strength to do much about it. Still, kinfolk politicians could exercise whatever powers human institutions provide them for the betterment of Gaia. And one can argue that the political landscape is a war zone itself, with Pentex lobbyists willing to go to any lengths to see the new drilling deals through, and if the werewolves hope to stand any chance fighting their ancient enemy in the modern nights, they will need to see past their prejudice and realize that without the kinfolk, they will never stand triumphant. The four grandchildren of Cain wait patiently for the time of judgment to arise. Snow, wise beyond his years and powerful in his compassion. Bambi Parsons, a leader with an unbreakable will. Dr. Sheepington, whose wisdom like the ocean is deep and broad beyond our understanding, and Dugal, whose thirst for blood is matched only by his strength of will. 
Their child are the Methuselah control our every move through their timeless jihad. They are Her Satanic Majesty Danny, whose mere presence chills the heart. Maximilian S. Hardcastle, tutor of countless ventru in the art of the jihad. Socrates Johnson, a masterful craftsman of stories. Lauren Eason, a trustworthy ally and friend. The observant and calculative Procyon, the unemployed writer whose words have guided nations, as well as Alexander Kanehurst, inquisitive explorer of the World of Darkness. On the Council of the Primogen are seated Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, 06, Ian Nichols, The Black Friar, Ravenfang, Brad Hardwick, Pilgrim, Get of Mathrox, and Michelle Light, wise leaders and of good judgment. And this week the Council will wish to welcome the Elder Vladislav the Impaler to our midst. May your reign be long and fruitful. We would also wish to thank the Ancillae Shadow Mind for your continued support. And naturally, all our elders, Ancillae and neonates receive our gratitudes from the bottoms of our hearts. Without your support, this would not be possible. And thank you for watching. As the full moon rises and Gaia's warriors strike out into the night, tremble, servants of the Wyrm.